So should we be looking for a third temple in Jerusalem? Is, is that a positive thing or a negative thing? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, I'm, I'm uh, holding something in my hand here. Uh, always very exciting. I want to get the first copy of a brand new book. This one coming out January 8th. What we'll be talking to you about it. In fact, we'll have a whole music focus one week in January. But it's brand new. I just got it moments ago. The Power of Music. Yeah, I wrote a book on that. God's Call to Change the World One Song at a Time. So I... Got it on my desk here. Wanted to mention it. Michael Brown, welcome to our thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Delighted to be with you. If you have any Jewish related question of any kind, phone lines are open 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. The Hebrew question, question about Jewish teaching, Jewish tradition, question about modern Israel today, question about Messianic prophecy Jewish background to the New Testament. If it's Jewish related, it's kosher for Thursdays. 866-348-7884. Now you may have called last week. You've got another question in our call screen. And we'll tell you, actually, we need to take two, three weeks between calls because many days we get lots of calls and we need to be fair to callers and let others get through or let others have, have spotlight for a moment. So I hope you understand that. But if you have questions and, and you need answers and you can't get through to me, write to us. AskDrBrown.org. You'll see where it says contact. Write to us. And we have a team member with a PhD in Old Testament, fluent in Hebrew, Russian, and English. And he will answer your Jewish-related questions on my behalf, but I get copied on every one of them. And often I'll say, hey, let's add this or no, let's respond this way, or I'll take one of the questions and answer it on the air. So if you can't get through to us, by all means, write to us. Again, the number to call, 866-348-7884. I got up early this morning. I just had to go in for a checkup and got up early and noticed a delightful tweet that was sent to me by a gentleman by the Twitter name of Benjamin. And this this is what he said. And it was it in response to my call to pray for the president? I put it out yesterday and the prayer call went viral. One website alone, it's been shared over 73,000 times just on Facebook on one website alone. It's on multiple websites. A call to pray for President Trump. And this is whether you like him or not, voted for him or not. But perhaps uh, Benjamin was responding to this. But this is what he said. Are you ready? DJT, so Donald J. Trump, is helping Jews build a temple for the future Antichrist and clowns like you are promoting him prayer for him. All you guys do is build up straw men to get people hooked whilst telling them that they will be raptured before you're a deceiver and you make merchandise, misspelled merchandise there, like white, etc. So I I don't think he means James White, Dr. James White. I don't think he's referring is he who's he referring to? That was my first thought, because when I see white, I think of my friend James White. Maybe he went Paula White. 
in, in any case, you know the thing that's so funny about people attacking you, and, and I mention it because it ties in with, with Third Temple issues, but the the reason that some of the attacks are so funny is because whatever they're attacking you for is is false or is completely unscriptural. So so the fir- first thing, first thing, is Donald Trump helping Jews build a temple in Israel? No, it's not part of his project right now. That's the first thing, okay? Uh, the second thing, uh, aren't we supposed to pray for leaders? Aren't we supposed to pray for leaders? Doesn't Paul write to us to pray for leaders and those in authority, kings, rulers? We're supposed to pray for them. If we're supposed to pray for people like Nero and Caesar, these, these demented Roman rulers, these dictatorial tyrants that persecuted Christians and killed Christians, and if we're supposed to pray for people like that, we're not supposed to pray for President Trump or President Obama? Are you kidding me? I, I just saw a bunch of tweets. Obviously, the, the article has gotten shared so much that it'll get shared now by people who differ with me. Then it'll get shared by others. And next thing you know, we're getting these people attacking us. How dare you pray for a man like that? Like, well, that's the one you're supposed to pray for. If he's as bad as you say he is, we should really be praying for him. And maybe you're not as good as you think you are. Maybe you're a little too self-righteous. I welcome prayer. I welcome prayer all the time, any day of the week. <clears throat> and Jesus said it, it's not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. And he wasn't saying it because the people to whom he was speaking were healthy. He was saying it because they didn't realize they were sick. And that was his point. The people coming in repentance were the ones that recognized their true condition. What's written in Romans 5? Well, we were yet sinners. Well, we were ungodly. Well, we were weak, right? Well, we were still weak. The Messiah died for the ungodly. So, and then I was like, how dare you pray to a man? I said, we're not praying to a man. Someone else blasted me a moment ago and actually had civil interaction when I responded, blasted me a moment ago and said, yeah, you, you, know, you make a mockery of Christianity when you worship a man like Trump. I, Trump. I said, I wrote a book called Donald Trump is not my savior. I worship Jesus. I've said it a million times over. The savior gets my life. The savior gets my worship. The savior gets my adoration. The president gets my vote. But anyway, you say, why do you respond to people like that? Oh, teachable moment. Reach out. Maybe get someone to think. Model how to do it for others. Sometimes just, I want to do it. want to respond. But in any case, in any case, so I, first, to my knowledge, the president is not helping Jewish people build a temple. That's the first thing. Second thing, uh, yeah, I'm calling for prayer for him. We're supposed to. That's a good thing. Third, All you guys do is build up straw men to get people hooked. Well, you don't write books saying Donald Trump is not my savior. I voted for the president and I support him. But I've emphasized he's not my savior. That's not what you call building up straw men, is it? And then I'm telling people they're going to be raptured before the time of judgment or before the Lord, uh, before tribulation, etc. Excuse me. I got a book coming out March 19th with Craig Keener, Professor Craig Keener, called Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Trib Rapture. So... That's the funny thing. And of course, the reason we're on radio and, and, and our, our internet feed is free. You can watch the whole show free. You don't have to subscribe. And, and the reason that we put out articles almost every single day for free, and the reason that we have thousands of hours of free resources on our website is because we're merchandising. All right, we're in it for the money, which is why we give away thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of free material. <clears throat> anyway, I, I'm not 
mad at the guy. I'm smiling. But that's, that's the type of stuff you get that's out there. And, and let me say one more thing. I, I heard a, a powerful preacher years ago make the comment that he was not moved by praise because he was not moved by criticism. And he said to someone once, when they asked him about walking in humility and things like that, he said, when you're on your knees, the praise and the criticism goes right over your head. So if, if I'm going to get all excited because somebody said something really wonderful about me, then the next minute I'm going to be really depressed because somebody said something really negative about me. So I, I just want to encourage your friends, have a healthy self-evaluation before the Lord. Welcome constructive criticism. Appreciate heartfelt thanksgiving, but esteem yourself rightly in the Lord so that you're not flying high on the praise and going low on the criticism. I, I, I just noticed on our Facebook page, there's a place where people can, can give reviews of your page or your you know organization, ministry, whatever it is. So I, I'll, I'll look there periodically and, and the vast, vast, vast majority are people with great stories of appreciation and thanksgiving, which blesses me because I know as our team, our whole ministry team that we're serving people and making an impact. So I appreciate that, and I'm very thankful before the Lord. But I also know that they're going to be the most vile, ugly things and the attacking things, and, and often they're, they're next to each other. Or it'll be like wonderful praise, horrific attack, wonderful praise, and you just have to smile and say, okay, my evaluation is based on my walk before the Lord and constructive criticism and having a healthy understanding of, of who God's called me to be, who he's called you to be being a son, a daughter of God, serving others, being a blessing in your household, in your community, wherever it is. And it's not based on people's opinions. So I deeply appreciate positive words. And I encourage people, if we blessed you, post a good review, excuse me. If our book's been a blessing to you, go on Amazon or the sites you use and post a good review there. Why? Because people read them and then they're drawn in. If, if we're a blessing to you, go to our Facebook page, Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown. And recommend it and post a review so we can minister to more people. But it's not so we can look good. It's so we can reach more. So these these were two consecutive reviews on the Facebook page. Uh, and and let's, let's pull those up. So the, the first one says this from Keith. High level of scholarship and honesty about the issues. So we always express appreciation. You know, thanks for the kind words. High level of scholarship and honesty about the issues. The next one from a gal named L, this, quote, doctor spews lies that just feed into the hate taking over our country. And he does this in the name of God. <laughs> so they're one after, one after the other. So all that to say, it's going to be the same with you. You post something and, and you get, you know, 10 likes or 100 likes and you're flying high and the picture got shared or the quote got shared 200 times, and then you see a really nasty comment from an old friend. That's the dumbest thing I ever saw. Oh, you're the preacher boy now? You think you're somebody? Or whatever it is, and then you go down. We, there's a better way to maintain an even keel, and that's with healthy relationship with the Lord. That's with a, a, a good, honest reflection before the Lord, not too highly exalted, not too lowly abased. You know, some of you beat yourselves up all the time. Some of you think that you're, you know, you're, you're legends in your own mind. There's, there's a healthy balance that we can walk in. And Paul encourages us in Romans 12 to recognize our gift, our calling, and our walk with the Lord. And, and not to think of ourselves too highly, but to do so rightly. But I, I still, whoops, 
just push my mic there. I, I still, I, I have to get a kick at, out of this. I mean, I, I feel bad for people that are so mistaken, but I have to get a kick out of it when they attack me for everything that's not true. Attack me for what I believe. If you want to attack, attack me for what I believe. Go for it. Do it. Differ with what I actually preach and teach. But don't manufacture a, a, a Mike Brown that you hate so you can tear him down. If that's not what I believe or teach or preach, don't manufacture motives of my heart that I'd never dream of in a million years. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk about this third temple issue in a moment. I just had a little fun with that. Talk about this third temple issue in a moment. It's been in the news. Something's happened major in Israel within the last two weeks. And we're going to go to your calls as soon as we come back right here on the line of fire. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You Thanks, friends. Ignore. All right, don't know what that was. Just heard another voice there. Welcome, welcome to the line of fire. It is thoroughly Jewish Thursday. I didn't hear our Jewish music. Didn't hear our Jewish music, but it is thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Trust me on that. We're going to go straight to the phones, and we'll start in Montgomery, Alabama with Craig. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Good. Fantastic. Um, I'm calling because I was uh, you know, I'm writing a paper for, for my school, I'm going to online classes, and I was trying to find references to the concept of Hebrew slavery and, the, and how it was laid out in the Tanakh and the, the mandates there. And the, the black Hebrew Israelites have ruined the Internet for that subject. There is nothing I can find um, as far as the practices, and, and specifically for one question as to whether or not the, uh, the Israelite slaves were paid a wage, specifically because of what we find in the parable that Jesus tells about the slave that, you know, has to pay his master back, and then he goes to another slave and, he owes him money. So that's kind of a twofold question is, is were they paid a wage? And if so, how was that, you know, mandated? And secondly, what would be a good source for that type of information? Yeah, um, there are diff- different books that talk about sociology of the Old Testament and and manners and customs and background. But generally speaking, if, if you'll go to the Got Questions website, I believe it's gotquestions.org, and type in slavery, you'll, you'll get some good information there, some useful information, and that has not been in any way polluted by, by black Hebrew Israelites. Also, if you'll, if you'll look at any conservative evangelical commentary on the book of Exodus or Leviticus, you'll also get information on slavery, uh, commentaries that deal with Exodus 21, etc., the parable you mentioned from Matthew 18, I don't believe that's saying that slaves were paid wages there. I don't believe that's implied, but rather these were just people that were under different people that owed them money. That's that's what I would get from that. But for the most part, uh, you, you a slave, if it was a Hebrew slave, was an indentured servant. 
In other words, it was not someone that since since kidnapping was forbidden under Torah law and, and many even believe in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal is talking about stealing a person is the greatest emphasis there. There was no sanction for, for going somewhere, kidnapping people like in the African slave trade, Africans kidnapping Africans, then selling them to Europeans and, and to America. There was no such concept of that, that type of abuse of slavery. But the majority of the, the slavery was rather that some poor person would sell themselves into slavery so that they would now work for someone else. And what they would get is a, is a roof over their heads and provision. So uh, the, and it that only would, lasted seven. Oh, I'm right. sorry. Six, yeah, six years, and then you'd be released in the seventh unless you said, no, I, I, wanna, I just want to serve for life. So, yeah, I mean, they didn't have all the rights that others had, but it's interesting that immediately after the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the very first thing that's dealt with Exodus 21 is rules about slaves. And again, there's a debate even to use the word slave or not, because we associate it with the horrific African slave trade, and it's really not what what it was. So there's a debate as to how to translate the Hebrew word evet. Is it servant? Is it slave? It's, it's kind of halfway in in between those, maybe bond servant works better, but wasn't uh, wasn't the that term eved used for like the a servant eved Yahweh was used? Yeah, just a, a, yeah, just as a servant exactly. Uh, okay. So the, the word the the root avad the verbal root either means to worship or to serve depending on context, but they're obviously related uh, related concepts. So bottom line is that they would be provided for their needs would be met. It's not like they'd be thinking about how can I, how can I be storing up money so that when I get free, I can, I can take a vacation or something like that. That, that wasn't the concept. It was day-to-day life. Just like in the ancient church, the early church, if someone stayed with you and ministered, he'd stay with you and he would be provided for while he was there. And then money would be given to him so he could make it to the next town where he'd be provided for. In other words, it wasn't a, a way to earn extra money. It was just a way to live and survive. So that was the same there. The other thing is you could look at some uh, commentaries on Jeremiah, the 34th chapter, because God judges the people of Judah for failure to uh, failure to free the slaves when they were supposed to be freed. And they're freed, but then they, they bring them back. They take them back under their power. And that's one reason God brings judgment uh, on Judah was their mistreatment of slaves. But what I started to say was the fact that you have th- these laws here immediately after the Ten Commandments starting there. It could be that immediately God's saying, hey, this is part of the world in which you live, but we're going to do this right. We're going to do this with mercy. We're going to do this with compassion, different than some of the surrounding nations where slaves were, were not treated as well. So those would be some of the, the places to go for help. Okay? Uh, that's perfect, Doc. Thank you. Thank you. Very- oh, oh real, real quick. I'm sorry. I don't want to take up too much time, um, but there was uh, an- another reference. This one will be quick to, I cannot remember the exact verse, but it occurs several times in Tanakh where it talks about uh, giving the firstborn to the Lord. And I listened to a lot of atheists, and they said that that was, um, that that was child sacrifice. Um, no, but, no, it's the, it's the uh, opposite. It's, it's the opposite. What it is, is every firstborn animal, firstborn male animal, would be, would be sacrificed to the Lord. And God said, I demand the firstborn of your children. However, because we don't practice child sacrifice, instead I've chosen the Levites and it is for service to God. They're not sacrificed. They serve in the temple. They serve in the sanctuary. That's what they would do. 
So they took the place of the of the the firstborn Israelite, but that person was not sacrificed. They would serve in the temple, and the whole of 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 the Tanakh consistently, overwhelmingly speaks against the horror of child sacrifice, and it's a major reason that God brings judgment. Yes, so when you see dedication of the firstborn uh, that, that's laid out in in Scripture, uh, what we see there is again firstborn animal, but because you don't sacrifice a person, instead the Levites took their place. All right. Thank you for asking. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, David in London, welcome back to the line of fire. Uh, hi. Hello. Um, I, I want to ask you, um, do you know of any uh, commentaries that focus purely on translations? I know you're like a great guy to ask because you've got all, you, you have tons of knowledge on biblical Hebrew and stuff. Um, so, for example, there's sometimes that when I look at the, the text in the original Hebrew, there are things that are visible that aren't so visible in the English, like, for example, with Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, and Ruvain, Seah's son, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, one of the things I didn't notice, I guess it's in the English as well, but I hadn't noticed it before, because I, I went to a biblical Hebrew class and so on, but where um, it talks about where there's uh, Lavan um, is speaking with uh, Yaakov, and um, that they mention um, uh, God, God's uh, Elohei, but they translate it as God's. Um, I can't remember the exact verse, but the idea was that maybe Lavan still had a, a polytheistic view. Um, and um, yeah, so so David, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in short, any scholarly commentary of the books of the Hebrew Bible is going to concentrate on on the Hebrew words and may provide a new translation. Otherwise, we'll just break it down. And, you know, there, there are many multi-volume commentaries, scholarly commentaries by Christian scholars, Jewish scholars. Uh, every single one of them will deal with these issues. But here's, here's something very, very simple that you could do that you'll find very helpful and it won't cost you a dime, okay? Are you familiar with the NET Bible, the New English Translation? Um, not really. Okay, so here's here's what you do, sir. Uh, just uh, when you have a chance, as soon as the show's over, uh, get online and go to uh, and search for NET Bible, New English Translation, okay? And you will get to a website, Blue Letter Bible, probably you'll find, but uh, you may find it some other places. And there are over, I think it's over 60,000 translation notes, okay? Uh, so NET Bible... So I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Here's a New Testament passage. But guys, uh, go over to, to Genesis 1 on our screen here. And, and what you'll see is that you have the, the translation of the text. Uh, the translation of the text is, is going to be on the, uh, on the left. So there's your, your NET text. And I think if, if you go, all right, I was just going to tell them how to get there on the screen over to Genesis. But what you'll find then is on the right side, it has these detailed translation notes. So every time there's a controversy in the Hebrew, it's it all the whole focus. It's not commentary. It's just translation. Verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. That's all that's there. All right. So you'll see uh, lengthy notes just on the first verse of Genesis. Uh, is should be translated in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Is that so? You, you'll find. When you look at notes, you can look and see what the Hebrew says, uh, and then you can just look over where it says notes, 
and it'll give you detailed translation notes, and they're really excellent. They're well done. They'll explain the Hebrew. They'll explain differences, different possibilities. They may tell you, okay, there are manuscripts in the Dead Sea Scrolls that read this, and, and here's the Septuagint, the ancient Greek-Jewish translation, etc. So you'll find it really, really helpful. It quotes other scholars as well. Won't cost you a dime, and the only focus, it's not commentary, is just translation. That should meet the need of which you are speaking. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. When we come back, I want to talk to you about Third Temple issues and we'll continue to take your calls right here on the line of fire. Oh, one other special announcement when we return, but we will get to that momentarily. And listen, whether you voted for the president or not, pray for him. One of my great prayers is that God would make him into a praying man. He's definitely under a lot of pressure. Definitely under pressure. Let this be something that God works in him to turn him into a praying man. Wonderful prayer to pray. Hey, pray it more for me. I'd be more of a praying man. I'll welcome that. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. If you have a Jewish-related question for me, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. So I touched on this very briefly just one day, but it's oh, about 10 days ago now. A lot of news from Israel. We were coming to the end of, of Hanukkah. And there is a group that has been working to prepare temple vessels for the day that the temple is rebuilt to train priests to be offering sacrifices at a, at a rebuilt temple. And... I'm looking at an article, Breaking Israel News. They had a photo spread from December 11th, dedication of altar for third temple. And it reports, this is back on the 11th, on Monday, the Sanhedrin hosted the dedication of the altar for the third temple, marking the event with a full-dress reenactment of the Korban, uh, Korban Tamidi, the eternal offering, or the perpetual offering would be better translation. And it describes the altar is made of aerated concrete constructed on a metal frame, etc. And and it shows it shows different pictures from that event. And and I'm looking at it. You got the priests in their whole garment with with the trumpets and and it's it's fascinating. Uh, you know different things that are described. You say, but how, how how could you do that? How the temple's not standing? Don't you have to have the temple? Well. There are rabbis now that have come together. They are reconstituted Sanhedrin. Uh, now, the Sanhedrin in the ancient Jewish the world, ancient Jewish world, was the ruling body in the land. It's hardly the fact now. This is not the ruling Jewish body in the land, and it certainly has no authority over Jews worldwide. There's no single group that has authority of Jews worldwide. And you've got Jews in numerous different groups. And then others that could care less about religion or God. But it's fascinating that all this is happening. So according to Jewish law, or some would say, according to this interpretation of Jewish law, you don't have to have the temple to consecrate an altar. And if you go, for example, and 
uh, Ezra the third chapter, before the temple is rebuilt, once they start working on foundations, they consecrate an altar so they can immediately begin offering sacrifices again. So how do I feel about a third temple? I'm not looking for it. I'm not looking for it. I'm looking for the return of the Lord. And until he returns, I'm looking to be productive for his glory, win the lost, take the gospel to the nations, see America shaken and awakened, see the Jewish people, our Jewish people come to faith in Yeshua. So I'm not looking for a third temple. I'm looking for the Messiah. That being said, I do believe that scriptures indicate that before the Lord returns, there will be a third temple. Will this be a temple that prepares the way for an antichrist? Could be, could be. Will this be a temple that leads Jewish people to think, well, we certainly don't need Jesus the Messiah because our sacrificial system is back. So this whole argument that we don't have blood sacrifices now, we do again. I'm not looking for it in a positive way, personally. However, if it is rebuilt, it will be part of the final fulfilling of prophecy before the Lord returns. And then, in fact, if... There is a millennial temple, as many believe there will be, Jesus ruling and reigning out of Jerusalem for a thousand years over the earth. Uh, It may be something brand new. It may be that reconstituted, or it may be something brand new. So I'm not looking for, oh, I can't wait for it to be built. But if it is built, it would mean to me that we are another big step towards the end of the age. That doesn't mean he's coming in 10 years or 50 years, or we don't know that. So I, I... Follow the news with interest and fascination, but it's not my focus. It is not my focus. It is not something I think about or read about. In in my trips to Israel, I've never actually been into the Temple Mount Institute and talked to people there or looked at what they're doing or building. But it is very fascinating because 50 years ago, you know, who was thinking of this? 100 years ago, the possibilities weren't even there. So it's certainly very interesting. Oh, Oh, before I forget, we did open up a few more seats for Israel trip. We, we intended to close things out uh, two, three months ago and made a decision to open up a few more seats. We still have some seats. So maybe you, you've been planning and you can actually make this work in just five, six weeks notice because we leave February 1st. All right. Or maybe you want to bless someone with a holiday gift of a lifetime and you want to send them on a tour of Israel. So if you want to come, there's still room. If you've got the funds and you can do it, there's still room. It is the trip of a lifetime. Go to our website askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. And you'll just see it right on the homepage that you'll see the banner for it. And it'd be awesome if you could join us. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Raleigh, North Carolina. Michael, welcome to the line of fire. Well, thank you, Dr. Michael Brown. Um, Now that you mentioned it, I was thinking about taking a trip to Israel. I didn't even know about this, like, because I haven't had a really chance to listen to you on the radio because I normally work till about five o'clock. But, um, my question for you is, do you think at times like the law in the Old Testament is being hyperbolic in a sense of like, if two men are fighting and a stray punch or kick like hits a pregnant woman in the stomach, like, you are supposed to give restitution, eye for eye, two for two. Do you think the the concept of if two men are fighting, that is the way of saying, like, even under the most extreme ex- circumstances, there's no excuse and there's no leniency in striking a pregnant woman and stuff like that? Yeah, actually, so if it was hyperbolic, it would be exaggerated on some level or not what it literally says. And according to Jewish tradition— Wherever it says eye for eye, tooth for tooth, 
burning for burning, that that is meant metaphorically that it would simply mean an equivalent fine. So when you have here hand for hand, foot for foot, uh, and then, you know, show no mercy, uh, Jewish tradition claims that from the beginning, that was only meant as a monetary fine. Uh, because what if someone only had one eye and they lost their other eye? Now they're totally blind. How could that be fair, etc.? So uh, I don't agree with that, but there are Jewish interpreters that understand that. Jewish interpreters also say, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy in the 22nd chapter, a disobedient, rebellious son, that uh, you see you got like a teen son and he doesn't listen to the voice of his parents and he's a glutton and a rebel and, and in constant rebellion, that you bring him in front of the elders of the city and stone him to death. The Jewish tradition said that was there to put the fear of God in people, but it, ever, it never actually happened. And, and we studied and learned it to see that it never actually happened. So there is some Jewish tradition that believes that this was hyperbolic, but I don't personally think that way, Michael. I, I believe that these laws were literally given and literally intended, and that many times an example would be given of, of say, a category, and that category would then serve to represent similar cases and similar situations, because obviously not everything is covered in the Sinai Covenant. That's one reason Jewish tradition grew and increased and multiplied uh, exponentially over the centuries, because not everything is there. And then if you're going to make everything into a new law and a new custom, you're going to need kind of endless new, new discussion and interpretation. I do believe that there are things that Jesus said that were clearly meant in a hyperbolic way. For example, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. Obviously, we read that and instinctively know what that means. Otherwise, we'd all be walking out with our eyes plucked out. So there he's making an extreme statement to say you have to deal with sin ruthlessly, that ruthlessly. And the fact is, actually, our, our eye or our hand or our foot doesn't cause us to sin. We sin out of our heart. But yes, there are cases where hyperbolic language is used to get a point uh, uh, across an extreme point. But it's got to be in such extreme language that we get it. Like in this case, the case you mentioned, though, I, I believe that was literally given. But thanks for listening today. Glad you were able to catch the broadcast. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let us go to Leslie in Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Welcome, Dr. Brown. Uh, yeah, I've got a question. Something struck me the other day, and I thought, you know, it's a Jewish question. I'm going to call Dr. Brown on Thursday and yeah. ask him what the answer is. Where did the Jewish people during the time back in the old testament before the messiah came what did they believe happened to their souls when they when they died before he came yeah so scholars really debate that leslie there are scholars who believe that there was no hope of an afterlife in the old testament or let's say a place where the soul would go and that eventually a belief was developed in resurrection from the dead i'll, I'll look at that in a moment about resurrection but there's actually debate about it. Uh, what does it mean when it says that someone is buried with their fathers? What, what does a psalmist mean when he says that no one can praise you from the grave? Uh, what does it mean in Ecclesiastes when it says there's, there's no wisdom or power or, or anything you could do in the grave? Why was Job despondent? and He, he wanted to die, but from death was just kind of a respite to the suffering. It seems that that there was some concept of of like a shadowy existence in the in the netherworld. In other words, after death, 
that there was some type of shadowy existence that they look forward to without a clearly defined hope. The hope that they, that they were looking for was resurrection. So we see in Daniel, which is one of the later books of the Old Testament, Daniel, the 12th chapter, it says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since the beginning of the nation until then. But at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. The book of Isaiah speaks explicitly about resurrection of the dead in Isaiah 25 and 26. So we, we can only debate what was believed in Old Testament times. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says that Jesus brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we understand a lot more now uh, through the New Testament than, say, the Old Testament saints would have. There are some verses you know, the psalmist saying, you know, when I die, I'll, 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 I'll see your, your image uh, or your form or in the path of righteousness is life and there's no death. Uh, so some believe that there was a hope, Old Testament, that you die and be with the Lord. But I don't think you can really argue that decisively. I, I think what's clearer is that there was not a real understanding of what happens, except that in the grave, you can't do anything more in this world. The big focus was in this world. You can't praise God from the grave. You can't till your land from the grave. You can't raise your family from the grave. That was the big emphasis. And then you await the resurrection. But perhaps a view of just a shadowy ongoing existence, you're asleep but not asleep, waiting for the resurrection. But scholars debate that to this day, sir. Thank you for the question. 866-34-TRUTH. Right back with your calls. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, friends, there were some questions I was asked today about slavery in the Hebrew Bible, about life after death. Uh, uh, if you go to our digital library, friends, at askdrbrown.org, A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org, let it be your go-to place. Thousands of free resources waiting for you that we've put together. Articles, videos, broadcasts. So go there. You can check. Let's see. We've got one video there, What Happens After I Die. So that's giving you a full biblical perspective. That's in the digital library. Uh, another one, uh, Does the Bible Endorse Slavery? So if you've never, never visited, go on. And before you leave, sign up for our email list. And this way we can be in touch with you and, and share things that are happening and, and, and special resource offers and things like that. And then when you sign up, you get a free ebook. It is a really neat, eye-opening ebook. It's free. Uh, Seven Secrets of the Real Messiah. So sign up there and check out our Consider This series. Check out what it means to be a supporter or torchbearer. So check all those things out. Uh, on the website. You'll be blessed. And this is where we can minister to you literally 24-7. Uh, let's go to Eric in Cary, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. How do you do? Thank you for your program. 
I recently heard the story of Julian the Apostate who tried to rebuild the temple, and there was some tremendous uh, supernatural barriers that stopped him and the folks in Jerusalem. I wonder if you could uh, remark about that. Yes, so Eric, I'm going to be 100% candid with you. Normally when folks ask me a question, I'm just answering immediately because the information is in my head, the scriptures, the the facts, the background. Uh, I glanced at our, our call screen here and saw a note here about the attempted rebuilding of the temple by Julian the Apostate. I was not familiar with this in any detail before now. And just during a break was reading myself. So I'm just being totally candid. I could have made it like I knew all this, but I was I was looking into this. So here he is, totally hostile to the faith, you know, Roman emperor, kind of the, the opposite of Constantine, right? And right. what is it, around 362? He yeah. figures, hey, if, if according to the story, and, and by the way, I saw it on a Catholic website and a Jewish website. So it's it's interesting how it's preserved in, you know, different faith circles. But according to the stories, he figured, well, if he can rebuild the temple, then he can disprove Jesus because Jesus said it's going to be destroyed and, and it's going to be scattering, etc. So according to the story that he tries to rebuild it and every kind of calamity happens and earthquakes and all this, it's like, OK, we better not touch this. So what I need to do now is see how accepted the accounts are by historians Yes. Uh, but it, what's interesting is, you know, you have to see how it's preserved. Like if it's preserved only in church circles or only in traditional Jewish circles, then a story like that could get embellished. You know, it, yes. it could be you started a project, you ran out of money, it didn't work. The workers were superstitious and then it gets embellished and becomes all these miracles and interventions. But it, if it's preserved in sources, you wouldn't expect it to be preserved or preserved in Roman historical sources or other things like that, and then uh-huh. corroborate it in the church sources or the Jewish sources, then it has more credibility. So I'm, sure. I'm, I'm curious to dig more. Have you dug into it much yourself? Uh, I spent a couple of hours uh, searching online and reading Wikipedia and Jewish uh, uh, dictionary or encyclopedia stuff. So I got basically the same story from three or four, you know, the same uh, uh, material from three or four locations. So, yeah, so I'm not a real scholar, and I, I look forward to your conclusion. Maybe yeah, you'll yeah. mention it next Thursday. Uh, all right. I, let's see. Next Thursday. Yeah, so we're we're back after uh, Christmas with Live Radio. That's the, the 27th. Yeah, I'll I'll do my best to uh, to make a mental note just to check to see where the story is preserved. Uh, is it just preserved in church sources? Does it get embellished with each generation? Is it just uh, uh, preserved in different Jewish sources. You know, you have to do critical historical reading to try to sift through. That's why that's why the Gospels come through in such a shining way because even even secular references indicate that there was this this Christ figure worshipped as a God that was crucified and known as a miracle worker, and his disciples claimed he had risen from the dead. I mean, so you, you have that corroboration and the way the Gospels kind of fit together, but not. Not this perfect, neat thing, which is typical right. for eyewitnesses and different perspectives. And yeah, so so you, you do that, you study in those ways, and then you come to your conclusions as to the the verifiability of it. But More like let me a just quilt say this: a mosaic. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me just say this: if in fact it happened, I have zero problem saying that sounds exactly like what God would do. In other words, that wouldn't surprise right. me in the least. There's nothing incredible about it. 
just want to find how accurate it is. But certainly, uh, when there when it is time to rebuild the third temple, it will be in fulfillment of prophecy, because Jesus indicates not just a temple in his day, but from what I understand, a temple at the end of the age before he returns. Hey, Eric, thanks, thanks well, much for the for question. Treat. Yep. All right. God bless. Thanks. Thanks. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Monique in Greensboro. Thanks so much for calling the line of fire. Um, thank you, Dr. Brown, for taking my call again. I think I've been fortunate to, this might be my third time in some years, but I just wanted to just say, um, more in reference to what you were saying about the president as far as the topic today, um, I don't know why more of us that are Christians at least don't realize that it's, it's not a, it's a given that we would pray for Donald Trump, and I do believe that God is working, and it's just a confirmation in my heart for those of us who are sensitive to the Spirit of God, that He is working in some way that's going to be so mighty as far as the example for the believers and the unbelievers, just by example of what Trump went from, what we saw of him in the White House, to what he leads as, and I think that's going to be awesome. And I just wanted to say that as your sister in Christ, completing the context, I love you because you are sincere, you are knowledgeable, you're able, God is able to use you to reach people that don't understand from a faith standpoint and make it just as clear and just as relevant and point right back to what we all know that believing Christ is the truth. And that's so vital and it's so rare. I'm almost sad at how excited and thankful I am, but my heart races when I listen to you sometimes because I've only heard you speak truth, rightly divided. I've only heard you speak truth concerning the president, concerning uh, things. I watch how you deal and respond to people, really nasty people or ignorant people or just people that sincere and just don't know. And it all speaks of a true walk with Christ. And this is what I'm hoping that listeners that will listen regularly enough to pick up on whether they agree or came in with your opinion or didn't come in with your opinion to see the truth and how you even deal with the issue in addition to the truth of the actual, you know, whatever the the truth is about the issue. And so thank you. And to hear what you've come from and the drug bear thing and all that, all of these things, if you're listening, really testify to the undebatable reality, power, and love of Christ. Mm. And so I'm praying that people are listening and not just, yes, it may they may come in on interest about the president or some, you know, whatever, but if they're really listening to you and watching you, an imperfect man doesn't say the perfect, um, you know, just if they're listening, they will see a lot. Mm. And so I just want it to, in a lot, and I think it's just so awesome how God's wisdom is so perfect, and the best we can do is don't think we're like right with, oh, I understand you, God, just to trust Him and and be available, and I see that that's what you do, and that's so awesome and so rare. So I love you, and I will meet you in heaven, (laughs) and and I thank God. Keep doing what you're doing. I pray God continues to bless you exceedingly in a knowing and assurance and ability to do these things uh, that that you need to do, and He always will. But I pray that He amps up that comfort and assurance in you. You're a man of God. You are. (laughs) Thank you so much. You are tremendously, tremendously gracious, and I want to glorify the Lord as we pray for President Trump and just looking at 
my article up on the stream, a, a call to pray for President Trump, shared just, just there, what, 76,000 times. But then it's, of course, on our website, Ask Dr. Brown, and you'll find it on numerous other websites. If if President Trump is as bad as some of you believe he is, now I, I understand others are cheering him on and so happy to have him as president, but others really despise him or, or you, you think he's really, really, really bad. All the more reason to pray for him. And I, I uh, just uh, this morning, just this, this medical thing, everything's good, fine, because people always wonder, but I just get it, had to get an IV thing. And uh, so I was telling the guys, yeah, use the left arm and it's a better vein there. And I use it to tell my testimony. You know, I, yeah, I used to shoot drugs and the whole bit, you know, I shared my testimony every time I've ever, you know, had blood drawn or anything. I had an IV for anything. So uh, I, I was doing it today. And I said, yeah, it's actually December 17th. It's three days ago. It's 40, 47 years from the last time I put a needle in my arm and I was set free instantly by God's grace and so on. And, and just glorifying the Lord and, and talking to the, to the guy that was uh, attending to me. And, you know, I was with my dear friend, Paul Wilbur, Messianic Jewish worship leader, Park Salon songwriter. And we were with a pastor in Texas who's dealt with LGBT issues, but sometimes gets mad at the activists who are really nasty to him. And he said, man, Dr. Brown, you're just so compassionate and just so loving towards these people. And he said, have you always been compassionate like this? And Paul Wilbur said next to me, he goes, nope, nope. <laughs> because he knew me when I was a little bit more raw. So all that to say, God can do incredible things out of any of us. Any of us, he can. And that's why we pray for the president. God would make him a praying man, a man after his own heart. All right, phone lines still jammed. Listen, if you call in tomorrow, folks, and I see your name, anyone that's still waiting now, I'll do my best to bump you up higher on the list so we can get to your call. Friends, back with you tomorrow. You've got questions, we've got answers. Keep praying for the Jewish people.